Good morning, Jeff. Uh, we are going to have a great little meeting this morning. Uh, Jeff, give us about an hour, a little over an hour Q&As. But uh, if you have questions, if you will, just type me in the Q&A chat box and I will try and take a break in between time whenever Jeff, he'd like to take a break and ask you for his questions. I can certainly respond to you with those questions. But uh, Jeff is, has been a friend of ours for several years. He, he helped us get out of a multi-million dollar lawsuit that was frivolous and good God, I thank Jeff immensely for doing that. He was an awful, awesome attorney and has always been a great friend to the inspection industry. But uh, Jeff is an attorney here in the Houston area and uh, we have referred his name and his company uh, to our members many times. So uh, without further ado, I'll let Jeff introduce himself, his background, and we'll get this thing started. So Jeff, you're up. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, really happy to be here. Um, as you said before, everybody got on. We've been trying to set this up for a while, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to this because uh, we're going to get down into the weeds with inspection agreements as far as uh, what I need from, from, from a legal perspective to protect you guys, um, how to get you guys out of a lawsuit as quickly as possible. Um, so a little bit of background. Um, graduated from West Point back in 1991 and uh, spent some time in the Army. And after that, I got out and I was an FBI agent for eight years here in the Houston area and uh, got my law degree at night when I was an FBI agent and uh, decided to give practicing law a try and um, got out of the FBI in 2002, I think it was, and I've uh, been practicing law here ever since, been in the woodlands, um, got a nice little practice here and an office up in Dallas. and. Um, uh, Brenda and Paul somehow found me several years ago, don't even remember how it was, and, and asked me to help. And I just really enjoyed helping them out and helping out uh, inspectors. And they, they hooked me up with an insurance company that's been feeding me cases of uh, home inspector defense for, for years. And I have a bunch of them now, and um, it's just part of my practice that I really enjoy. Um, you guys are hardworking folks. Um, 99 times out of 100, you don't deserve to be in the lawsuit, and um, it's it's fun for me to, to get you guys uh, out as quickly as possible. So, with uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm gonna share my screen here. Should be should be up there. Paul, can you see that? Yes, I can see it fine, Jeff. You're okay. Okay, perfect. Here we go. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out what to call this, and I and uh, being former military, I picked protect your six. And and those of you who have some military or law enforcement background know what that means. How to protect your backside, right? Um, you guys are out there on the front lines doing uh, doing stuff, meeting with clients um, in you know sort of emotional situation. People selling, people buying. It's it's a it's a big time in people's life. It's a huge investment. And um, sometimes things get crossways. And um, so the, the purpose of my presentation today is to how to help you avoid litigation entirely. And if you can't avoid it, how to get you out of it as soon as possible. So we're gonna talk about um, the inspection agreement mostly today. We've got a, a couple of other things we're gonna talk about at the very end, but. We're going to go through some important clauses that you have to have in your inspection agreement. Um, 
we're going to talk about limitation of liability, probably the most important one. Attorney's fees, the notice clause. Uh, we're going to teach you how to limit statute limitations, and I'll tell you what that means. Talk a little bit about arbitration and, and mediation clauses uh, and the reliance clause. So after we're done talking about the agreement, we're going to talk about whether or not you should incorporate, and if you should, how, and what sort of an entity. We're going to talk about a consent to settle provision that's in your insurance, probably in your insurance agreement. And uh, I'll tell you what that means. You guys might even know what, not even know that it exists, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. A little bit about report writing. I know you guys get a ton of that um, in your in your classes and amongst yourselves. So I'm not going to harp on it, but I'm going to. Uh, talk about some some things from a from a legal perspective, and then finally a couple of do's and don'ts, some things that I've learned um, uh, over the years working on these cases. All right, so home inspector lawsuits they they all sort of look the same or similar. Um, what might surprise you is that typically it's a good report, and and yet the person still finds themselves in litigation. And the reason for that is a, a gross misunderstanding of the public on what you guys do. Um, you all know what your, your scope is, but if you ask a client, and I do in depositions, I ask them, what, do you, what did you think that the inspector's job was when you hired him? And this is what they say. Tell me everything that's wrong with the house. And you, you know that that's not the case, but that's what those people think, um, despite what you tell them. And despite what you put in your reports about scope and all that kind of stuff, this is what they think. After they buy the house, they start noticing things, right? And they become remorseful about, about the purchase. And they start thinking about, how can I get out of this? This was not the palace that I thought it was going to be. What can I do? So they find themselves a lawyer and they decide to sue everybody that had anything to do with the case. Both of the realtors, typically the prior owners, almost always, sometimes a warranty company who said they were going to fix things and then they don't, and then also the inspector. Whether you get sued uh, justifiably or not, um, it you might find yourself in a long-term battle, um, sometimes years. And if you if you even if you do everything right, uh, you're going to be stuck in that situation. And it always ends. Uh, outside of a small handful of cases that I've worked on where we've where the insurance company has paid quite a bit on behalf of the inspector, where there was some 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 gross error. Um, it's a small settlement. So you might find yourself in a lawsuit for six months to two years uh, and you go to mediation at the end of it and your insurance company pays twenty five hundred bucks or five thousand dollars and you're done. And you're thinking, why did I have to go through that entire ordeal? Uh, to give these people 2,500, 5,000 bucks to, to make them go away. <clears throat> so how do, we, how do we stay away from those situations? And the, 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 maybe the only way, certainly the best way, is to have a good inspection agreement. And I'm going to tell you right now that um, I have drafted what I think is the gold standard for inspection agreements, at least from a legal perspective. Uh, I saved it as a Word document. And when we're done today, I'm going to upload that to you guys and you guys can download it uh, or Paul and Brenda can figure out how to distribute it to you guys. And it's in Word so you guys can take 
subtract and add whatever you want. But as far as the important clauses that we're talking about today, they're the ones that are going to be enforceable if you get sued. And so I wouldn't touch, I wouldn't mess with those. All right. So the inspection agreement, try to make it separate from your report. Um, I don't really care if it's in a separate PDF file, if it's completely two separate documents, but at a minimum, make sure it's at the front or at the end. And it, and it just kind of looks different than the report. If it's just mashed together with the report, um, it's, it's, it's easier for the client to say, I never, I never saw it. I, I didn't pay attention to that. He told me what to, what to look at in the house and never even knew those things were in there. Um, that's a problem if the inspection agreement is not signed. Um, if they, that's something easy that they can say, never saw it, especially if it's buried in a 50 page uh, document. Okay, get the inspection agreement signed. I know that, that oh, there's a lot of you guys out there that are thinking, I've never had to do that before. I've been doing this for 30 years. Um, handshake is, is the best policy. I'm telling you, if you haven't been, if you're doing a lot of these, if you're doing a lot of inspections, this is your, this is your main business and, you, and you've been doing this for a long time. If you haven't been sued yet, it's just a matter of time. Um, and so what, what, I'm, what I'm asking you to do is to get this inspection agreement signed. The best, what I've seen, the best scenario is to, is to um, give it to them at the beginning of the business relationship. When you're making appointments to set up the inspection, send it in an email, have them sign it, have them meet you at the house with a signed agreement. Um, if they're paying you a check before you get started, also give you the signed agreement. Um, it has to be, it doesn't have to be, but it's certainly preferable if it's before you give them the report. If you're giving them the agreement at the same time that you're giving them your report, um, I've had clients, plaintiffs say, I, I just thought it was a receipt. I had no idea. So um, definitely if it's, if it's not signed, but, if it, but if, even if it is, try to get it done before you give them that report. Have it be somebody who has authority. Um, if you're in agreement with Mr. Jones, have Mr. Jones sign it. Um, I ha currently have a case right now where the uh, inspector had perfect agreement uh, with Mr. Jones and his fiance, Mrs. or Miss Smith, was at the inspection and she signed it. I think it's still going to be enforceable. We're in litigation. I'm I'm not concerned that we're going to have this, but it's a, but it's a problem. I'm having to file motions and take depositions and stuff where otherwise I wouldn't, because um, they're claiming that the fiance did not have authority to sign the agreement. Online signatures are are more than fine um, in, in today's world. They're, they're just as enforceable as something that is signed in person. Um, some of you guys have online systems where, where everything is online. The appointment is set up online. It immediately generates a document that goes out to them. They can sign it online and you can keep it in, you know, in your files. That's fantastic. That makes it very easy for, for the inspector, very easy for the uh, client, and, and very easy for me. Um, if you don't have that, I would ask one of your inspectors 
um, that does to, to put that information out. I think it's pretty user-friendly. Um, even for those of us who aren't real computer literate folks, I think it's pretty, pretty user-friendly. <clears throat> if it's not signed, it still might be enforceable, okay? But do not, I don't want you to say, Jeff said I can have it unsigned and I'll be fine. I'm not saying that. I'm saying get it signed, but even if it isn't, I might be able to, to help you out. All right. Talked about this. If it's unsigned, make sure you give it to the client before the inspection. Most reports have this clause in there. If you rely on this report in any way, then you agree to its terms. That's a great clause to have if you're not good about getting your contract signed. But again, you got to give it to them before the, before the inspection even takes place. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, you have an agreement with this, with this um, potential buyer. I agree to do an inspection for you. You agree to pay me a certain amount of money, right? That's your contract. That's your agreement. As far as the client knows, that's the extent of your agreement because he hasn't even seen your written agreement yet. So you conclude your, your, your part of the bargain and all of a sudden you slap this two-page contract on them. You can see why that's kind of like, it, it doesn't really... It doesn't really make sense, right? And, and they're going to they're gonna probably say that wasn't part of the original agreement and they're probably going to be right. So if you're not going to get it signed or for some reason you can't, make sure that you give it to them beforehand and it has this language in there. If the documents are unsigned, it's going to be governed by the facts of the case. The judge is going to want to know exactly the timeline of when did you first talk, when did you first present the inspection agreement? When did you do the report? And he's going to try to put himself in the mind of that plaintiff and say, okay, did you really have an opportunity to agree to the terms of this contract? Okay. All right, let's get into the weeds with the limitation of liability. Guys, some of this is going to be a little bit dry, but I promise you this is super important. I'm going to go through these, and then at the end of this portion, I've got some sample contracts, and we're going to look at the clauses. These are real contracts of real clients that I've had, inspectors that are out there that have gotten sued, and I'm going to tell you whether or not these, these things are enforceable. Or you, you should, after we're done here, you should be able to tell me whether or not they're enforceable. All right. Limitation and liability. Like I said, the most important clause you can have in your contract. If you don't have anything else in your contract, make sure that you have this. What is it? In a, in a contract, in an agreement, two parties can limit the amount of the damages if, if, if either party sues. So if you're charging 450 bucks for an inspection, you can get the other side to agree. If we go to a lawsuit about this, even if you win plaintiff, even if you win client, you're only gonna get 450 bucks. That is absolutely enforceable for you as an inspector. And it is an absolute checkmate in a lawsuit if it's, if it's well-written and enforceable. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had where I've had fantastic agreements and I get the lawsuit paperwork. And before I even file an answer, I'll call up the plaintiff lawyer and I'm going to say, look, I don't think you know about this. Your clients have probably not shown it to you, but here it is. I'm going to send it to you an email. Take a look at it and let's talk. 
and and we end up settling for 450 bucks that day okay it's it's that good when it's when it's that well written even the most egregious plaintiff lawyer is gonna is, is not gonna try and fight it all right in order to be enforceable it has to be conspicuous it has to appear on the face of the document in some way to attract the attention of a reasonable person who looks at it okay everybody knows when they look at their at&t contract or their you know their their cable tv contract whatever you got this 10 page you know type 8 font everything small print right if there's a limitation of liability clause in it it can't be that it has to stick out somehow the law, the law in Texas, the courts in Texas have said that it's conspicuous when it is so written that so written that a reasonable person against whom it is to operate should have noticed it. That's that's really the language that they use. Just should have noticed it. It's conspicuous if it's in larger or other some some type of contrasting type or color. Okay, so let's talk about that. Put it in bold. Underline it. All caps works. Put it in color works. Set it apart somehow. Change the font. Change the size. Put a box around it. I'm going to show you one of those. Or some combination of all of the above, and that's my preference. Okay? If it is bold, underline all caps in color, set apart, and different font and a different size with a box around it, no judge in the world will say that it is not conspicuous, okay? If it's not conspicuous, if the judge says, nope, doesn't stick out, it is completely unenforceable, even if it is signed and, and no matter how well written it is, okay? That's, this, I can't emphasize this enough. This is probably the most important part of the of the instruction today. And we're going to look at those clauses in a bit. All right, attorney's fees. <clears throat> if you are sued, if a client sues you, you're typically not permitted to recover your attorney's fees, even if you win. Okay, that's a lot of people don't know that. If you're being sued by a client and you win, the best you get is out of the lawsuit right? Does that make sense? Okay. However, in your contract, in your agreement, you can add a clause that allows for you to recover your attorney's fees if you win. Okay. This is extremely important because normally the plaintiffs have nothing to lose by suing you, right? The lawyer sitting there talking to them and says, hey, let's add the sellers, right? We don't think they disclosed what they should have. Let's add those realtors, man. They they sure like acted like they were in cahoots just to get this sale done. Well, that warranty company, what about the inspector? Yeah, why not? Throw them in there, okay? There's no, there's no detriment to suing you because even if they lose, they don't have to pay your attorney's fees, okay? If you have an attorney's fees clause in your contract that allows you to recover, if you win, that's a huge detriment to them, okay? They will have to make a decision very early on in the lawsuit whether they want to keep you in because as we start taking depositions and as we start you know, doing inspections of the house and, and motions and all this kind of stuff, my fee, my expenses skyrocket. 
right? And so if they're suing you for a $20,000 repair, and all of a sudden your attorney's fees are more than $20,000, they're going to be thinking, what are we doing here? Why, why are we, you know, I don't want to pay this guy any money. We need him out of the suit immediately. Okay. So it's a huge detriment to either. I mean, they, they may either decide not to sue you or they'll sue, they'll settle with you sooner than later. All right. Notice clauses. What's a notice clause? <clears throat> A notice clause is something in the contract where you say something like, if client notices something is wrong with the house, they have 14 days to notify inspector and give the opportunity to the inspector to re-inspect, period. And the next sentence says, if they fail to give inspector reasonable notice within 14 days, they waive all of their claims, okay? That's huge. Imagine what, how, how nice that would be to have in a, in a lawsuit, right? And I, and I asked these questions during depositions. When did you first notice the water stains on the ceiling? I noticed them two weeks after I moved in. Why then did you not notify your inspector until nine months later when you fought a lawsuit against them? Well, my, no one told me I had to. Well, it's right here in the contract that you signed, right? Yes, it is. Okay, really good stuff. Because if I can prove that and it's signed and all that good stuff, they've waived all their claims. All right. It's so, it's, it's such a big deal. It's actually considered the same as a release, like a settlement. Like it's, it's, it's like, like the limitation of liability clause, it's checkmate. If you have a good, pre-injury waiver clause, it's a release. Now, what are the requirements? <clears throat> it has to have language in it that expressly also waives the negligence of the inspector. So it has to say something like, if client doesn't um, give notice to the inspector within 14 days and give an opportunity to re-inspect, client waives any and all claims against the inspector including the inspector's own negligence. If it doesn't say that, then it has not effectively waived negligence and they're going to sue you for negligence. Keep in mind, I have a contract that has all the right clauses for you guys. So don't feel like you have to take notes you know, for every single one of these things. All right. It also has to be conspicuous, just like the limitation of liability clause a notice, a waiver clause has to stick out. Okay, limiting the statute of limitations. What is the statute of limitations? All right, Texas courts have given timelines for every claim that can be brought against you. And if it's not brought in that amount of time, it's gone forever, okay? If I got in a car accident today, I would have two years from today to bring that lawsuit. If I file a lawsuit on two years and one day, I, I lose, judge throws it out, okay? That's called a statute of limitations. Most of the claims that are brought against inspectors are either negligence or breach of contract, okay? Negligence has a two year statute of limitations 
breach of contract has four. You can limit that in a contract, okay? <clears throat> you can agree with the, with the client when he signs that to limit that, to make it shorter, all right? You can limit everything to one year except for breach of contract, okay? So, and for, for breach of contract, it has to be two years. The statute, they have written statute in the, in the legislature that says you cannot limit a breach of contract claim to less than two years. So, the, so the, this clause has to be kind of a two-part thing. Client hereby agrees to limit statute limitations on all claims uh, to one year, except for breach of contract, which is hereby limited to two years, okay? Then you're set. So if they sue you one year and a day after your, well, it's not after your inspection, okay? It's after the cause of action accrues, right? This is, we're getting down to some legal stuff. So if they move in on July 1st, but they don't notice the, the water stains that they think you should have found until August 1st, that's when it's, the clock starts to run is August 1st. So two years from August 1st. So, but anyway, if you, if you have a, a, an effective limitation of liability, I'm sorry, limitation of statute limitations clause, you can limit every claim except reach a contract to one year. So if they sue you uh, a year and a day after they notice the water stains on the wall, then all those two-year statute of limitations clauses are gone. Negligence, DTPA, uh, negligent misrepresentation, all those sorts of things are gone. And the only other clause or claim they have left is breach of contract. If they sue you two years in a day after they notice the water stains, the breach of contract claim is also gone, right? This isn't going to this likely isn't going to keep you out of litigation because almost all of the lawsuits are brought within two years. So, so they're probably going to show up and have one claim and that one claim is going to be breach of contract, but I'd much rather have to defend just that one claim than all the other ones. Breach of contract is pretty easy for you because in the contract, it lays that first of all, they have to agree that there was a written contract and they're, and your agreement is going to have very clearly written out there what your scope is, right? Your scope is not to find everything that they th think is wrong with the house, like the plaintiff believes. Your, your scope is to um, follow the Trek standards, okay? So that's important. That's a lot of, that's a mouthful for statute of limitations, but important. All right. Arbitration. Um, Let's first talk about what arbitration is. <clears throat> arbitration is an alternative to a lawsuit with the court. It's binding. It is informal. Um, it's a little bit less expensive than a regular lawsuit with a judge and a jury. Um, it is usually more friendly for a defendant, which would be you guys in a lawsuit than it is for a plaintiff. Plaintiff lawyers don't like arbitration. Mediation is different than arbitration. Mediation is an opportunity for the two sides to come together with an independent person who just kind of says, hey guys, 
let's just sit down and see if we can't work this out. I don't really know much about the case. I'm not on either person's side. Plaintiff, why don't you tell me your side of the story? Mr. Inspector, why don't you tell me your side of the story? And then after I hear it, we can go back and forth and see if we can get this thing resolved, okay? Mediation is required in, in, in a lawsuit. It's required late after you know, all of the depositions and discovery have been done. You can, you can make it so that it's required early on in the, in, the, in the dispute process, if you want. I'm not a huge fan of early mediation. Um, it almost never gets things resolved because the plaintiff has these ridiculously, you know, exaggerated expectations about how they're going to get the house bought back. And we show up thinking we're not going to pay you more than the inspection fee. So it usually is not a fruitful effort. But I don't mind having it in the agreement because it gives you a tool if you want to use it. Unlike all of the other clauses that we talk about today, where you have to be written a certain way and they have to be conspicuous, arbitration clauses, mediation clauses are binding and they just have to be in agreement somewhere. Courts will enforce um, mediation and arbitration agreements if it's in the agreement at all. And the reason is because they just want to get the case off of their docket and clear up their docket, right? It's less work for them if they can get rid of your case. So if you show up to the judge and say, hey judge, we got an arbitration clause we'd like to, he's, there you go, you're off, I'll sign it, you're out of here, okay? So very easy to enforce. Um, heck, you can, even, you can even participate in a lawsuit for a year, take depositions and do stuff like that, and then enforce it and go to arbitration, judge probably still gonna sign it. <clears throat> it also is important because depending on where your inspection is, there are some very plaintiff friendly venues. Um, you don't want to be sued in Beaumont. You don't want to be sued in the Valley. Okay. Some places down there by Corpus, very plaintiff friendly um, venues. So if you're doing an inspection in Beaumont and someone sues you wrongly, you think you can decide, do I want to enforce this arbitration agreement or not? Just because it's in there, doesn't mean you have to enforce it, right? Plaintiff's not gonna enforce it because they hate it. So you can sit there with your lawyer and say, you know what, I think we're gonna enforce this. And then we do. And then all of a sudden we're not in a Beaumont court, we're out and we're in, we're in some sort of smaller uh, um, venue with a, with a arbitrator that you've agreed with, right? That you've agreed on and uh, it can go a lot better for you. All right, let's take a look at some agreements. I have pulled some from the uh, from the archives here. Don't worry about trying to read this. I know it's going to be small on your screen, and I've got what I, what I want to talk about. I will blow up, but I want to show you what this agreement looks like. I've taken the inspector's name and I've redacted it. Those, those are the blue blocks. The red lines I have added. Okay, that's not something that was in the original agreement, but those are the clauses that I want to talk about. Okay, so here's page one, and that's page two. And this is page three, okay? So this is the a contract that we're talking about. Back to page one. First thing I want to talk about is this clause here. Client agrees to notify the inspector in writing of any complaint or item in question within 14 days of discovery and allow the inspector access to the property to evaluate these items, blah, 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 blah. 
Client's failure to permit the inspector to reinspect the item in issue shall mean the client has waived any claim against the inspector for a breach of this agreement at any time beyond one year after the date of the agreement. All right, what do we got going on here? That's a hodgepodge of three different things, okay? That's a, that's a waiver clause, right? He's trying to get them to, to waive the claims if they don't give proper notice, okay? They're also trying to limit the breach of contract claim with the statute of limitations beyond one year. You see that at the bottom, okay? That's, so let's look at the notice, the waiver and notice. What do we need for waiver to, to waive all claims? It has to expressly mention that you're waiving negligence against the inspector. Here it says, uh, has waived any claim, right? Is that effective to waive negligence? Nope, it's gotta say negligence, right? The notice clause also has to be conspicuous. It has to stick out, okay? If you look back underneath that, again, that red underlining is mine, okay? There is nothing conspicuous about this waiver slash notice clause. That is unenforceable. Okay, there's nothing I can do with that. The statute of limitations part at the end um, does not mention breach of contract. Also unenforceable as to breach of contract. The dispute resolution portion of this at the bottom, I'm not going to spend too much time with this. All you need to know about this is if it's in there, it's going to be enforced. It's really that simple. All right, page three, the inspector sticks this clause here at the bottom, okay? It's at the end of the page three of a three-page contract, not conspicuous whatsoever. Inspector's liability here under shall be limited and fixed in an amount equal to three times the inspection fee paid, okay? If it was in bold, in red, different font, some combination of those, and it was conspicuous and it was sticking out, that's enforceable. As it's written in this agreement, it's useless to me, okay? And useless, more importantly, to you. All right, next agreement. This is it. This is the whole agreement. I've redacted anything that has to do with the uh, name of the client or the name of the inspector. It was signed, okay? This entire agreement consists of one, really one clause and I've boxed it out there and it's a limitation of liability. His entire agreement is a limitation of liability clause. <clears throat> All the language is sufficient. So really the question is, Is a one-page agreement consisting of nothing else but a limitation of liability clause enforceable? It doesn't stick out. It's not in bold or anything else. But on the other hand, it's, it's the only thing in the agreement, right? It doesn't have to stick out from anything. It, it is the agreement, right? So um, I'm actually in litigation with this, with that clause right now, I think it's gonna be fine. I've, I've actually found case law that says, you know, it's on the front page, there's not much to it, they should have seen it. So I think I'm gonna be fine. But again, if you have control over drafting your agreement, 
why not put a box around it? You know, make it bold, do something. It's too easy not to. All right, next agreement we have, uh, this is a two pager, okay? This page one is page two, right? Uh, again, the red boxes are mine. The blue boxes are, are, are redactions. And what I want to talk about first is the limitation of liability. Let's look at it first. Is it conspicuous? Does anything about that jump out at you more than anything else on that page? And the answer to that is no. Okay. The language is fine. And the only argument I have is going to be it's on page one and the heading is in bold. That's it. And the defense lawyer is going to say, so what? Every other heading is in bold too, right? And the judge is going to have to make a call. Is that conspicuous or not? And that's a big deal. That's whether you're in the lawsuit for a month or whether you're in the lawsuit through a jury trial. That's the difference in whether or not that's in bold. It's a big deal. Dispute resolution. Um, all right, this is another one of those hodgepodge clauses. The client, wait, let me pop it out for you. The client understands and agrees that any claim for failure to accurately report the visible defects, blah, 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 shall made in writing, report in 10 days. The company can respond within five days. Uh, client further agrees um, that they'll make no alterations. Client understands and agrees that any failure to timely notify the company and allow adequate time to investigate and reinspect shall constitute a complete bar and waiver of any and all claims against client that they may have uh, related to the alleged act, omission, or claimed condition. All right, let's stop right there. That is a notice slash waiver clause. Why it's hidden in a dispute resolution section, I do not know. Um, it's part of the, you know, the process, right? If, if there's a complaint, they want you to follow this process. So I get why it's in there, but what do we need for an effective waiver slash notice clause? Number one, it has to be conspicuous. It's not. Number two, it has to expressly mention negligence. It doesn't, okay? So this, this clause is, is useless to you and it's useless to me. All right, the rest of it is the binding arbitration part of it. Um, that's enforceable. At the bottom, um, if a lawsuit is filed by the client against the company and the company successfully defends against the claim, the client agrees to pay the company reasonable attorney's fees, court costs, and expenses. That's enforceable, even though it's stuck in this section right here. I'd like to see it separate, but that's enforceable. So that's a nice little hammer for me to have. If you, hey, Mr. Plaintiff, I think your case is not good. You better be careful. If you don't win, you're going to have to pay your own attorney's fees and mine, both. All right. Statute of limitations clause at the bottom. The parties agree that no claim, demand, or action, whether sounding in contract or in tort, may be brought to recover damages against the company in bold more than one year after the date of the inspection. Okay. Is that enforceable to 
have them waive the breach of contract claim? No. Is it enforceable for them to waive everything else if they don't file suit within a year? Probably so. Okay, that's probably going to mean if they bring suit in a year and a half, the only claim I'm going to be fighting is a breach of contract claim, and that's that's pretty good. Next one. This is a three-pager. Got a lot of stuff going on here. I'm going to show you what the contract looks like first, and then we're going to talk about it. There's page one. This is page two. The red box is mine. The beige box is not mine. And this is page three. Okay. Lots of clauses in this one. Lots of clauses. Let's go back to page two. First thing I want to talk about is the limitation of liability. I don't even have to put a red box around it or anything. It's in a completely different uh, color and it's in a completely different font. Happy times for me. That's enforceable. Happy times for you. You don't have to worry about this lawsuit. All right, here's the dispute resolution portion of it. Again, they have the notice here tucked inside of it. I don't like that. My contract, my, my agreement that I'm going to give you has it separate. <clears throat> Client understands and agrees, blah, blah, blah. 10 days from the date of discovery, allow time to reinspect. Uh, no alterations. And then in bold, client understands and agrees that any failure to timely notify inspector to reinspect as stated shall constitute a complete waiver of any and all claims against client, I mean, uh, that the client may have against inspector related to the act, omission, or claim condition. All right. What are our two things? Is it conspicuous? Yes. Okay. That's bold. I'm, I'm thinking that's conspicuous. I would much rather have that in its own section, but I like that it's in bold. Second, does it expressly mention negligence? It doesn't, okay? It says whether sounding in contract or tort, okay? The tort is negligence, but it doesn't use the word. So that's not gonna be enforceable to waive any negligence claims against you, all right? It'll waive everything else, but you're still gonna be in a lawsuit fighting negligence. <clears throat> the rest of the agreement has to do with mediation and arbitration. We don't need to touch on those except to say every court in the state is gonna enforce those. I always thought it was a little bit telling that the courts require all these other, even if the person signs it, right? We used to think if you sign an agreement, everything in there can be held against you. Really? Not, not so. But the courts, just because they want to keep their dockets smaller, they don't require anything for an arbitration agreement. It just has to mention arbitrate. You can literally say parties agree to arbitrate and put it in three-point font and tuck it on page three and they'll enforce it. Statute of limitations for this one. Um, more than one year after the date of the inspection, time is of the essence. Client understands that this time period is shorter than otherwise provided by law. Okay, again, uh, it's not going to be effective to reduce the breach of contract claim, um, but it is going to be effective to reduce every other claim to one year, which is pretty good. All right, next one, and only have a couple more here. So 
This is a two pager. Yeah. Actually, it's a three pager plus the signature line. All right, so here's page one, here's page two, there's page three. We're gonna talk about those clauses and then the signature is on page four. Shifting straight to page three, uh, again, red boxes are mine. Does the limitation of liability box stand out? Is it conspicuous? Maybe. The only thing about that that is conspicuous that is in all bold, right? But if you're looking at it in the scope of the entire agreement, does it really stick out so much that the reasonable person would see it? Maybe, I don't know, depends on the judge. Um, I would certainly like to have it, maybe one more thing, bold and italics, put a box around it, make it a little bit bigger, something. <clears throat> Dispute resolution, again, with the notice slash waiver claim within the dispute resolution section, I like to have it separate. Reinspect, let's see. Okay, this has all kinds of stuff about 10 days and giving notice, but then it just goes, in the event that dispute cannot be resolved, the parties agree that this dispute shall be resolved by mandatory and binding arbitration. All right, so there's no waiver clause in here at all. It's just, you know, give 10, no, give 10 days notice. There's no penalty for, you know, what happens if they don't give 10 days notice. But the arbitration agreement is obviously enforceable. Attorney's fees, you know, it, it, there's no magic language for this attorney's fees. You know, it, anything that says, hey, look, if we are in a dispute, you file a claim against me and you lose, you're liable for all my fees and expenses. Okay. The last two agreements are both one pagers and they look sort of similar, but I want to talk about these. <clears throat> all right. This is the agreement. It's one page, which I like. I like shorter rather than longer. Is there anything, without even reading that, is there anything about this that sticks out? Okay, what sticks out? Well, important limitations and disclaimers, that's in bold. You got a couple of things in all caps. Uh, no representation is made concerning any other condition or future performance. That's it, nothing else is, is conspicuous like we've learned today. But look at the clauses that he has in here. Customer must notify company in writing of any complaints within seven days of inspection and must thereafter allow prompt reinspection. Otherwise, all claims for damages arising out of such complaint are waived by the customer. Is it conspicuous? No. Does it mention negligence expressly? No. Is it enforceable? No. If customer institutes any action against blah, 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 and fails to prevail, customers shall be liable to company for all of its attorney's fees incurred. Is that enforceable? Yes. Actual damages for any breach of contract or warning, negligence or otherwise are limited to the amount of inspection fee. That's your limitation of liability clause. Is that conspicuous? Not even close. Might as well not have it in there. 
customer by accepting this report or relying upon it in any way expressly agrees to those limitations and disclaimers. All right. That's the first time we've, we've, or at least I've talked about the reliance clause. If this agreement was unsigned, and as you can see in this case, it was not signed. I like to have that language in there, okay? <clears throat> Oftentimes the plaintiff lawyer, I, I do this a lot, right? I represent lots of inspectors. Most of the time that I'm in the lawsuit, I've done it dozens of times. It's the first case that the plaintiff lawyer has ever had suing an inspector. They're almost always one-offs. Um, and so I'm sort of educating them on, on these clauses, just like I'm talking to you guys. Um, but if they really don't know what they're doing as a plaintiff lawyer, they're not going to have prepared their client for the deposition. So if I'm in a deposition and this clause is in there and you've given this, this agreement to the client before you did your inspection, I'm going to say you had this before you even did the inspection, right? Right. And you paid for this. You gave him good money for it, right? You expected him to do everything that he promised to do, right? Yes. All right. Look at this clause right here. You relied on this report when you bought the house, right? We wouldn't even be here if you didn't rely on it. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Well, if you rely on it in any way, you agree to these limitations and disclaimers, right? That puts them in a really bad spot, okay? Um, sometimes, because they're not prepared, their lawyer hasn't prepared them, they'll just say, I guess it does. That's good, that's good language for me. So. It just gives me something to needle them about in a deposition, um, gives them, gives me some ammunition to work with. Doesn't mean the judge is gonna buy it. Much rather have a signature, but it helps. All right, last one here, another one pager. <clears throat> this box contains all of the clauses that I wanna talk about. None of them are, have separate headings. None of them are conspicuous. Uh, they're just all hodgepodge together. Uh, let's talk about them. All right, first part, client is urged to contact a qualified specialist to make further inspections. All right, we don't care about that one. Client must notify inspector in writing of any complaints within seven days of the date of inspection and must thereafter allow prompt reinspection of the item in question. Otherwise, all claims for damages arising out of such complaint are waived. What is that? That's our waiver notice clause. What are the two things that it has to have? Has to be conspicuous. Is it conspicuous? Nope. Does it expressly mention liability, uh, the negligence liability of the inspector? No. Is that waiver clause enforceable? No. Next one. If the client institutes any legal action concerning this inspection and fails to prevail on all causes of action alleged, Client shall be liable to the inspector for all of its attorney's fees incurred in such action. That's your attorney's pre, uh, fees provision. Is that enforceable? Yes. Something interesting about this one, and this is me as a lawyer finding this interesting more than you guys, I'm sure, uh, and fails to prevail on all causes of action alleged. What happens if that homeowner sues the inspector for negligence, breach of contract, DTPA, negligence, um, negligent misrepresentation, fraud, a whole bunch of stuff, right? And let's say I being the good lawyer that I am, I am successful on seven out of eight of those claims, but the negligence claim sticks and the jury hits you with that. Well, this clause says 
if the client starts a lawsuit and fails to prevail on all causes of action alleged, clients shall be liable to the inspector for all of his attorney's fees. So I'm gonna go to the judge and I'm gonna say, look, judge, jury just said my client owes $40,000 to that plaintiff. This clause says if he fails to prevail on all causes of action alleged, he failed to prevail on all of them except negligence, right? So I get my attorney's fees. And oh, by the way, that's 40 grand. So we'll just agree to shake hands on the way out of the courtroom and we'll be done, okay? That's a nice little, nice little clause to have in there. Okay, so that, that is the agreement portion of the instruction today. Um, we've been going for almost an hour, Paul. Um, you guys wanna take a quick break? It's, I don't have much left if you wanna just go straight through the questions. Yeah, we, we got a couple questions here. Someone asked, uh, should the client initial those specific clauses throughout the contract? I like that a lot. It's not required, but it sure is hard. So that goes to conspicuous, right? It's hard for them to argue, I didn't see it, if they put their initials right next to the paragraph that says limitation of liability. So not, not, re not required, uh, nothing in the law that says you have to have that, but I like it. Okay. Uh, another one says, what constitutes a breach of contract? Um, so in, in a general sense, a breach of contract means, uh, a contract means party A agrees to do something, party agree, party B means to do something um, in exchange for that. It has to be a two-way thing. So in an inspector um, scenario, it would be, I agree to perform an inspection pursuant to the TREK rules. And the client says, in exchange for you doing that for me, I agree to pay you 450 bucks. That's the contract, right? Aside from all the terms that we talked about. So an example of a breach of that would be if they can prove that the inspector failed to meet the TREK standards in, you know, in one of those areas. Let's say it's uh, plumbing, right? If he didn't, uh, you, you know more about what's required under the TREK rules than I do, but if he failed to meet you know, one of the standards under the TREC guidelines, that's a breach of contract. That's an example of a breach of contract. All right, good. Uh, another one question is, how common is a Chinese drywall issue and should it be in our agreements? Um, I, all I can tell you about that is um, I have never seen it involved in a lawsuit. Okay. Um, you guys are doing a lot more inspections than I am lawsuits about inspections but um i have never seen that so i would i think i would defer to you know the guys that have been around uh for a long time and and see what they think about that but i i certainly have not seen that in a lawsuit the most common um things that that inspectors get sued about let me just take this off screen sharing while we're talking about it quick so the most common things that i see um, in lawsuits, failure to identify water penetration or water damage, mold, termites, and foundations. And all of you are going, well, I don't have to talk about mold or termites. Why, why is Jeff mentioning that? Uh, just because you don't have to do it in your report and Trek says you don't have to report on it does not mean you can't get sued for it. Okay. I can get you out of it 
but anybody can sue you for anything. So um, it's frustrating, but um, th those are the most common things. Uh, so other than, than, than mold and, and termites, which you guys aren't responsible for, the most common things are water penetration and foundations. Okay, good. Water penetration foundations. Good, okay. Uh, see, I had another question here I've been holding for you. It says, how much detail should be in an answer to a summons? So, um, when you get a lawsuit filed against you, the first step that you should take is call your insurance company. They will contact me or somebody like me to file the answer on your behalf. So you shouldn't even have to, my, my job, as I see my job, if you come to me, is to take this off of your shoulders. You don't have to worry about this. You got other things in your life you need to worry about. You don't need to be worrying about this lawsuit. I'm gonna be the one that's drafting the answer for you, but to answer your question, very little. What I typically put in the, in the answer is, you know, we deny everything the plaintiff says. And, and I'll put that in lower language so it'll, it'll be a page and a half. But that's typically what it says is we deny everything they say. Okay, good. Let's see. Uh, someone's asking, will the inspection agreements you're offering be good for Ohio? Since we do have other uh, people from other states on this, on this conference call, would it be your, what you're telling us, would it still be applicable in other states? That is a really, really good question. Um, I guess I didn't know that we had out-of-state folks. These are Texas laws. Um, but so, so at a minimum, I would take that. And if you, if you have an Ohio lawyer that, that handles you know, um, inspector cases, I'd run it by them to see. But if you don't have somebody like that, uh, the laws don't change drastically from state to state. And these clauses that are in this agreement are, um, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just, I'm, I take language from cases and I, and I put them in the clauses. So they're, they're very strictly well-written. Um, they're probably going to be sufficient for wherever you are. But um, so let me put my lawyer hat on and, and say, I wouldn't rely on that. If I was you, I would get with another Ohio lawyer to make sure. But if that can't happen for some reason, um, I would use this more than just, you know, some other contract. Absolutely. That's a good point, Jeff. And uh, for those of you that are not in Texas or those that even are in Texas, both our association, InterNACHI, and in Texas, Topria's uh, branch of InterNACHI also have samples of inspection agreements that you can download and use modify them to suit your own self and have your own attorney look them over. So yes, good, good points. But Jeff is telling us general what his practice has been in Texas for us. And uh, you know, I'm sure it's gonna be not a whole lot of dissimilarities in other areas, but uh, let's see another question here. I'm going down these things that I talk. He says, uh, is there a way to download a copy of the agreements or agreements like what you've shown? I think you're going to post those where we can share those, right? Yeah, I'm going to, uh, before we, before we get, and I have some more, more slides here that I want to get to, but, but when I'm done, I'm going to upload those to the chat section. And my understanding is you can just click on it and download it. It's going to be that, that simple. So I'll let you know when I do that, when it's available. Um, but it's going to, it should be that simple. And then, as you said, 
it should be easy to do that with, with you guys from your website. Okay, uh, for Texas inspectors, this course has finally got the approval of TREC. We just got that this morning, run a little late on it. But if you are a Texas licensed inspector, please put your name, your full name and your TREC license number on the chat box and so we can get you the continued education for this two-hour class. Uh, one more question, Jeff, and, and so it's probably not so much directed to you as it is to me, but it says, if we purchase insurance through InterNACHI, which InterNACHI offers the you know, insurance, said, are you the attorney that rep is represented that insurance company? And I believe InterNACHI has their own corporate attorneys that, that answer those questions for us. Well, here's, here's my pitch. Um, I would like to do more of this. Um, and I was not aware that InterNACHI had their own insurance. Um, but if you guys, I mean, you can, you can recommend me to be on their panel and I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. It's, it's really one of the areas of my practice that I enjoy the most. All right, good. Well, we can certainly- and I, on that here's, here's proof that how much I enjoy doing it. All, uh, all of the stuff that I've given you today for the agreement, gets you out of the lawsuit sooner, which means I'm not making as much money, right? It would be in my best interest if you guys were in a lawsuit all the way through trial, but I don't want that for you guys. I want you guys to get out as quickly. I'd rather do a hundred cases that last two months than one case that lasts two and a half years. So um, yeah, I'd be, you know, I'd be honored if you guys would, would recommend that. I'd love to do that. Oh, good. Let's see. I don't think. Let me see if I got any other questions here, Jeff. Or let right, you let me, let me pop up and finish finish these real quick, and um, maybe somebody else will come up with some questions in the meantime. Yeah, go ahead. We've got uh, quite a few good comments about your presentation. So yes, go ahead. Okay. So, all right. Now we're not talking about the the inspection agreement. Consent to settle. What is what does that mean? Um, your insurance policies likely have a clause in there that gives you, the inspector, the authority to accept or deny a settlement, okay? So if we're in a lawsuit and the other side says to me, look, I wanna, I wanna get your inspector out of here, I'm willing to accept two grand. And so I go to you as the inspector and I go to the insurance company, I say, look, they wanna pay two grand, you guys willing to pay it, we'll get you out of this. And the insurance company says, heck yeah, I'll, I'll pay 2000 to get, you, get out of this. It's going to cost me a lot more money to have you do all these depositions. And then I go to the inspector and the inspector says, heck no, I'm not paying that knucklehead a penny. I don't deserve to be in this lawsuit and I don't want to be in it. I'm not paying a thing. I don't care what happens. Look, I get it. Okay. Um, it's an emotional situation. It shouldn't be emotional. It should be a business decision. And just, you know, believe me, you're not going to get the kind of satisfaction that you think you're going to get if you go through the entire lawsuit, including a trial, and you win. All right. You, if that happens, you're not going to walk out of the courtroom and shake my hand and say, Jeff, that was awesome. Let's do that again soon. Okay. That's not going to happen. No one's going to say they're sorry for suing you. Nothing like that. So I'm imploring you guys, if, if I or another lawyer come to you and say, look, I know you didn't do anything wrong. 
I can get you out of this. You can go about your life. You don't have to worry about depositions. All you got to do is consent. Just give your consent. All right. It doesn't mean you're a bad inspector. It just means that this whole system is kind of screwed up and it's the easiest way to get you out. Um, the, um, the agreements, the settlement agreements have language in there that specifically say, we're not admitting to we did anything wrong. Uh, this is going to be confidential. Um, you, we, the parties agree not to disparage each other. You're not going to make a complaint to Trek. Yeah, we're going to have all that in there to protect you, but um, it is nice to get the lawsuit over. Okay. All right. To incorporate or not to incorporate. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but um, if you're an individual, if you're if you're doing business as you know Joe's Inspections, or if you're a, an incorporated entity like Hey Joe's Inspections Inc., the plaintiffs are allowed to recover attorney's fees from you. If you are an LLC, an LLP, or an LP, you can't get hit for attorney's fees. Okay, so that's kind of a big deal for all the reasons that we talked about attorney's fees earlier. If you haven't incorporated it and you're thinking about it, you might you, you give me a shout if you don't remember this stuff and I'll, I'll help, I'll walk you through it, but you might consider being an LLC, okay? Because if, you know, this really ticks off plaintiffs when they, when they sue me and I call them and I say, I, you probably don't know this, but um, I see you're trying to get attorney's fees from my guy. You know that he's not, you're not eligible to get attorney's fees from him. They get mad, right? I mean, that's, that's a big deal. That can be a lot of money. All right. Inspector's version of report writing 101. Um, don't mark everything as, as deficient, okay? I like when they're complaining about the plumbing and there's a big X through the plumbing deficient box. I have to admit, I like when they're talking about foundation and you've marked the foundation as deficient. But if they're complaining about the plumbing and the, and the foundation, and 17 other things are marked as deficient, that's not great, okay? The jury's gonna think, he marks everything as deficient, he's just trying to cover himself. He's not really giving the, the, the client notice, you know, unless it's just a real wonderful house and, you and everything is deficient. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do, but if you're just, if you find yourself just doing it to, to cover yourself, um, try to refrain from doing that. Same thing with recommending an expert follow up. Um, if you recommend, if they if they're complaining about the plumbing in the lawsuit, and it says in your report, hey, get a plumber before you close on the house, that's awesome. But if you recommend a plumber and a roofer and an electrician and a foundation guy and a grading specialist and everybody else, then the same thing. Jury's not going to put much weight on it. We talked a little bit about mold and termites. Here's my you guys know what your requirements are as inspectors. From a legal perspective, if you see something, we, we know you're not required to report on the presence of, of mold and termites. We know that. If you see evidence of it, either recommend an, an expert to follow up or don't mention an expert at all, okay? Don't 
put black substance on the wall and then tell the person in the inspection, ah, eh, it's just dust. Okay. That's not good because no matter how you're not required to report on the presence of mold, if you tell them not to worry about something that later turns up to be mold, that's negligent misrepresentation and that will keep you in the lawsuit. So either recommend an, ex an expert or don't make a comment about an expert at all or, or comment about mold. Now you got to comment on the, the, the damage. You know, if you see, you know, damaged wood or, you know, a tunnel or something, evidence of a termite, by all means comment on that, but don't put that and then say, it's old. I don't see any evidence of active termites. Don't worry about it. Okay. And that, and that happens. Last uh, section here, just some do's and don'ts. Uh, I love when I have tons of pictures. You never really know what the lawsuit's going to be about when you're out there. So I can't have too many photographs. Uh, everything's digital. It's cheap. Um, you, you know, you only have to put 12 or 15 in the report, but if in your folder you've got 150 and somewhere in there is proof that what they're claiming existed never existed, uh, take lots of photographs and keep everything, maintain it somewhere. Um, this is my favorite. Don't tell the client uh, that you're willing to buy the house if, they, if they're not willing, right? I've actually had that a couple of times um, as you're walking out. Hey, so what's your final thoughts? Well, if you don't want it, I'll take it. Don't do that. Okay, because that immediately tells them they don't have any more, regardless of what you put in the report, they don't have anything to worry about. Don't tell the client not to worry about the report and that you've already discussed everything that's important. All right. Um, be consistent. And the last two sort of go along with each other. I've had people use kind of boilerplate language or they reuse reports. So there'll be clauses in there about uh, um, something that doesn't apply to that house or it'll mention, you know, something needs repaired in one section and something is fine in another section. Be consistent. And if you're gonna reuse reports, just make sure that you're, you're being diligent about removing the old stuff. Okay, so that's the end of my presentation. I don't know if there's any more questions, um, but I did wanna just touch on a couple of those things. So I do have a couple of questions. Let me find where they went. Uh, one says, does our insurance company pay for attorney's fees or is it the individual inspector or company? Yeah, really good question. Really good question. So um, you, you have a deductible, right? Just like a car accident. You get in a car accident, even if it's not your fault. Well, that's not quite true. But if it's your fault, you're going to have an, your, a deductible, 500 bucks or whatever. You got to pay that. And then everything else is you're off the hook. If you're driving a car and you run over somebody, um, you're, you're going to have to pay your deductible, but your car insurance company is going to pay for all of your attorney's fees and all of the money that you're going to have to pay in that settlement or, or, or trial. Same thing as an inspector. If Let's assume you're at fault. Let's assume you did something wrong. You owe money. That insurance company is going to come in and they're going to take your deductible, which is more than 500 bucks, I think. Sometimes it's two grand or 2,500. <clears throat> you're going to have to pay that but you're never gonna have to pay anything more than that. You're never gonna have to pay my fees. You're never gonna have to pay the plaintiff. That's it. That's your, your $2,500 deductible and that's it. 
that's a really good question and, and something I'm, I miss sometimes, but a lot of folks don't know that. Uh, and, I, and I have that discussion with people on the very first phone call to put their mind at ease because, you know, some people are, are come to me and they think they're going to lose their house or their livelihood. It's not going to happen. Okay. Do not worry. Um, getting sued is not fun, but if you have insurance, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not going to change your life. Okay. If you don't use an inspection agreement, is that a real bad idea? Um, in my opinion, it is absolutely a terrible idea. It really is. And I know there are folks, I've talked to people out there that say, been doing this for 30 years, not having one before, never going to have one, not going to start now. And like I said, I, I, you know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me that and they, you know, ended up needing a lawyer, I wouldn't be a rich man, but it's happened. Um, look, it's just a litigious society, right? I mean, it, it just, it just is. I mean, there are people out there that don't accept responsibility. Even if you put it in their report and they should have done something about it and they knew and they just got all googly eyed about this awesome house that they're going to buy and they move forward with it anyway, they're going to come back and see you, right? You're not their friend. You, no matter how friendly you got along with them out there, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat when it comes to, when it comes to dollars. Boy, and that's true. Okay, see, I've got, uh, says, do I need my own lawyer who knows about home inspections, even if I have insurance that will handle the claim? If so, why? Okay, so in that scenario, you have a um, insurance company who assigns an attorney to you. Hopefully that insurance company has assigned an attorney to you who does this more than just once a year. If they don't, and you're not happy with that person, uh, you can absolutely hire your own counsel to, to review, you know, kind of how the case is going. Um, that will give you a sense of security. The downside of that is that's coming out of your own pocket. The insurance company is only obligated to pay for that one, the one, uh, the one attorney. So that's a personal decision. Um, look, if you've got a question about anything at all, I don't mind you emailing me and asking. I'm not going to charge you to. I, if I've I've made this offer to everybody, if you've got an inspection agreement that you want me to look at, I'll do it for free. I don't care, um, and I'll answer some questions like that. You know, if I'm in for um, more time, if it's it's if you want me to be involved more than that then we can talk about how that would work. But, um, you know, if it will make you feel better, you absolutely have the right to hire somebody to, it's called private counsel, you can do that. But the downside is you gotta pay for yourself. Well, I think I heard people clapping their hands in the background on that one, Jeff. Look <laughs> at their inspection agreement for free, that's awesome. No, I've, I, 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 we did a presentation, what, uh, three weeks ago or so, and I had somebody take me up on that and I, and I sent back my recommendations. Okay, uh, another question, a popular thing happens in the inspection industries is body cams. Uh, yeah, it says, do you recommend having using body cams? If so, should you have a release to record? In other words, we're in other people's homes. Yeah. We're showing their house to everybody else, you know. Yeah. I think that's what they're asking us. Yeah. 
Now that's a, that's an interesting question. I've never had a case with a body cam. At least the inspectors never told me that it was, that it was used. Um, I don't know that I really, I guess it depends on the facts of the case, right? I mean, a body cam, it's like a, it's like the body cams on the police shootings. It depends on the facts of the case. I mean, uh, there are some cases where the body cam is going to, you know, set the police officer free and there's some that, that it's not, um, yeah. same with, same with you guys. I mean, assuming you guys are doing your job and everything's great. Body cam is just better evidence because look, there are plenty of times when I'm deposing a plaintiff and they're saying something to me and I'm like, well, the, the inspector told me that, you know, if I didn't want to buy the house, did he buy it? Right. I know that's not true. I know you didn't say that. Right. But this plaintiff can say whatever the heck they want, because then I go ask you and you're like, Jeff, I did that inspection two years ago. I've done 457 inspections since then. I don't even remember these people. Right. Let alone the conversation I had with them anyway. Um, so that's a personal choice. I think if you want to use a body cam, um, I would just say, you know, mind your P's and Q's and what you're saying when you're when you're being recorded. Um, do you have to get a release of some kind? Texas is a one-party consent state. You can record as long as there's one person, i.e. you, that is consenting to the, to the um, conversation being recorded. It's permissible to not get a release from the person. Other states are not. Other states are two-party consent states. And so you can get, you can get in trouble for doing that. No. Um, even if it's even if you're allowed to do it, like in Texas, probably not a bad idea to tell people. Um, I can't think of anything really negative that would happen to you, except, you know, them getting angry. But I mean, I, you know, you're allowed to. What, how, how, what's your thoughts about uh, all the homes today having cameras in the home? And when the inspector's talking to their client, is there an expectancy of privacy at that state or is everything wide open to everybody? Everything's wide open to everybody. Um, if you're in there, there is no expectation of privacy um, for anybody. If you're having that conversation with them. Now, if you're not in there, they certainly have an expectation of privacy when no one else is in the house. But if they're gonna say, um, you know, Paul, come on in here, let's talk. Then, then no, you, you know, there's no expectation of privacy and, and you would have every right to ask for copies of those conversations of, of the video that took place when you were in the house during discovery. I would absolutely ask for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think one thing, Jeff, that I, I think of personally, if I'm in there with my clients and maybe the uh, agent for the clients buying a home is that I'll, I want him to go over the report inside the house. I'll ask him if they'd like to step outside where we can talk in private rather than disclosing my findings to the homeowners that I don't know if they're listening or not and hurting the negotiation or contract, then I'd rather take it outside. So that's just my personal thoughts about it. Yeah. Uh, someone's asking, what is ENO insurance? Apparently this is someone that's not in the state of Texas because in Texas we're required to carry ENO insurance errors and omission. Uh, some states do not require that. But, yeah. Would you recommend in other areas where it's not required that they still carry it, Jeff? That's a, oh, Paul, that's a loaded question, right? <laughs> we've been, 
we've been we've been complaining about the state of Texas requiring you guys to have you know insurance, um, and I don't know what the what it costs. I mean, you guys know that better than I do, but um, you know before before it was required, um, were there cases where uh, an inspector would get sued and then I would call up the plaintiff and say, Hey, look, man, you're barking up the wrong tree. This guy's got, um, this guy's got no insurance. You might want to focus on the realtors or the, or somebody else. And they say, yeah, you're right. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and not sue them. Did that happen? Yes, that's happened. But you know, it might be the case <clears throat> where, well, heck I've got a case right now where the only issue in the case is mold. And, I've told him he doesn't have the responsibility to, to look for mold and that there's no insurance coverage for mold. So he's, he is uncovered when it comes to a mold claim and they still won't let it go. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what they're, what they're planning to get out of the suit, but, um, so anyway, I'm kind of rambling. Do you, do you get it if you don't have to have it? I guess it depends on the premiums, how much it costs you and whether you can absorb that in your business. If you can, I probably would. Um, if you get sued and you don't have insurance and they won't let you out, it's going to be a life-changing event. Yeah. It's going to, even if you win, I mean, even if you win, um, because I can't work for free, right? I mean, at some point you and I are going to have to have a very, you know, serious talk. Look, you've paid me 7,500 grand. It's, this is next phase of litigation is going to cost 20. You know, are you going to be able to do that? Um, and most people are going to say no. Yeah, it's more of a business decision for yeah. inspectors. It's cost of doing business. Yeah. Charge put it off in your inspection report fees and, and go for it. I've got quite a few other questions coming up, Jeff. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here till we're done. You'll hang in with me. Let's see. It says, what is expected of an inspector when given the opportunity to reinspect something the client finds that wasn't on the report originally? Um, so that's a, that's a really good question. Never had that. So if you're going out there to reinspect a couple things, depends on what the, what the defect is, right? If you find that it's a defect, all right, you go out there and they say, look, right after we closed on the house, we started ripping out cabinets and look at all this water damage. Well, then your job to go out there and look at it is to say, look, this is really terrible for you, but I'm not required to look behind walls and look, here's the contract that's in the report that says I can't move things. I'm not allowed to, I'm not, I'm not allowed to even if I wanted to. Um, then your job is really to just be as nice and professional as possible. You're, you're basically talking them out of suing you at this point. So I would be as respectful as possible and just try to explain to them, look, that's not, that's not my responsibility. Um, if it is your responsibility, if there's a big old water stain on the ceiling that you missed, then, then your job is to also be as nice and professional as responsible and document everything that you see out there. So you've got all the photographs from the first visit I want a whole set of second, uh, second photographs from the second inspection. Um, but again, you're really, you know, you're on thin ice at this point. And I don't care how nice those people are to you when they say, 
hey, Paul, um, you know, you were out here a month ago. I'd like you to come out and take a look at this. We just saw this. Um, no matter how good you think you have a relationship with them, you're on thin ice yeah. and you need to be um, basically doing whatever you can to talk them out of suing you. I don't mean say, hey, please don't sue me, but be nice, be respectful, be professional. But, you know, it wouldn't be in your best interest to say, you know, you're, you know, you're on your own or whatever. Just yeah. I'm not going to get any help. That attitude wouldn't help you anywhere, would it? No, that attitude won't help you at all. Um, so I would just say if you're in that situation, it depends on the defect. And if you can kind of advise them that it's not something you're responsible for. Um, but if it is, um, then the question becomes, was it, was it visible when you were there? And that, of course, depends on how much time has elapsed. Um, so if you're out looking at a water stain that's 18 months after the inspection, um, I might not even tell you to go out to that one. You know, I might just say, look, you know, obviously that water stain could have come at any time. But yeah, it's just, it's just a case by case situation with that one. Uh, the question is asked, how long should we keep the report files for? More than, so the statute of limitations for breach contracts, four years from the date they noticed something, right? From the date they knew or should have known is what the law says. So it's more than four years, certainly more than four years. I would say you know, six or seven years is probably a good rule of thumb. And I don't need paper documents. I really don't. Scan it, put it in a folder, um, make sure that it's backed up. I've got a case uh, right now where the inspector said, here's a copy of my agreement that I always get everybody to sign. And it's a fantastic agreement. And I said, okay, that's great. Where's the one from this? And he said, we've had a fire and everything was destroyed in our attic and I don't have the originals. So um, make it redundant somehow, but six years is a good rule of thumb. I understand that's a long time, but um, you know, internet space, storage space is cheap. It really is. Um, keep it, just, just it's better to have it and not need it. Okay, and someone won't know your email address, which I think you'll show us again before you get off here. Uh, let's see, you mentioned at the beginning of the webinar that you made the gold standard of inspection agreements. Would I be able to use that agreement outside the state of Texas? So, so same question to the other uh, inspector that was talking about, do these apply out of state? Um, short answer is, um, better, certainly better than, than not really putting much effort into what you're going to use. But I would recommend that you, uh, if you have access to an out-of-state lawyer that can just take a look at it and maybe tweak some of the language, but this language, the, the language in this contract is very restrictive and it, it's, it, I'm sort of erring on the side of caution, right? So if it's good here, I would imagine it's good pretty much everywhere, but that being said, not a bad idea to, uh, to, to have somebody take a look at it from, from your state because it is, it is Texas law. Um, I've tried to upload it. Usually I can do that through the chat, but maybe it's the way it's set up. I can't do that. So I'm going to have to email this to you, Paul and Brenda. Yeah. 
and have you guys send it to everybody that's that's um that, that's put their email in there. Okay. Uh, another question is: Which insurance will the claim fall under, E&O or liability? I think they want to know the difference between those two. Yeah, yeah. So E&O is uh, things you mess up when you're doing your job. Uh, liability would be, um, you know, if you're walking around with a ladder and you hit the client on the head and cause injury, right? That's that's going to be a, a liability insurance. E&O is just you doing your job and in insurance coverage to cover you um, if somebody tries to say that you didn't do your job to the standard that you were supposed to do. Uh, another one says, I've, question I've heard of people speaking into the ring doorbell or camera and stating name, track number, and I don't give my consent to be recorded while performing this inspection. What are your thoughts about that? I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with that at all. If you don't feel comfortable with that, no problem with that at all. Okay. That's, that's a, I think that gets into sort of a business social sort of situation, right? I mean, you know, if the, if they say, well, if you won't consent to being recorded, then we're going to find somebody else. Then you might want to say, see you later. Right. If, if they're going to take that position, that's sort of a litigious thing to say. Um, same thing with signing the contract. People have said, look, I'm afraid that if I have them sign this contract or if I ask them, they're going to say no. And my response to that is if you present a contract to somebody in today's day and age and they tell you they don't want to sign it or, hey, look, your, your contract has a limitation of liability clause. I can see it right here. It's in red and it's in all caps because you've done a good job with your, with your clause. And I don't want to sign that. Then my response is to run. Run to your car as fast as you can and get out of there. Have somebody else do that inspection. Um, you know, it's, it's, there, yeah. there aren't, I've never had anybody tell me that somebody wasn't willing to sign it. So yeah. that's first of all. Second of all, if they're not willing to sign it, that gives you a little bit of an indication of who you're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one question out of Florida says, Florida does not allow for modification of the statute of limitations. Should we keep a limitation clause just to discourage a lawsuit? That's, that's actually a really good question. Um, I would, it can't hurt. And if you get a lawyer um, or even if maybe before they even get a lawyer, if they come and they, they say, hey, look, uh, Inspector Jones, um, I, I, you did an inspection for me 12 or 13 months ago and I really don't like the way you did it. Um, what do you think? And you're going to say something to the effect of, well, I'm really sorry about that, but your, your clause here has a statute of limitations here that limits it to a year. Um, you know, however you want to phrase that, <laughs> sorry, whatever. Um, yeah, maybe they may, they're not going to know, right? I mean, the, the, the homeowners aren't going to know. Um, and even if they do and the lawyer knows, you don't get penalized from that. There's no, you know, you're not going to have to pay extra because you had a attorney's fees provision. I mean, a limitation of statute of limitations in there. So, yeah, I, I would definitely put it in there. Okay, good. Uh, that's all the questions I've got, Jeff. That's a bunch of good questions. I appreciate everybody's participation in it. And certainly want to thank you for coming on and doing this webinar for us. It's been outstanding. Well, it's been my pleasure. Let me, uh, let me just pop up my... Um, is the and um, I mean it, you guys. If you have any questions for me, um, 
want me to look at your contract. Somebody's calling you and you're not quite sure how to respond to them. You want to try to get out of this situation. By all means, give me a call. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you, so the, the insurance carrier that I work for is Southern Preferred or Trans 11. If you guys are not insured with them, um, yeah, call your insurance carrier and say, hey, look, this guy does a lot of work here in Texas. Um, I, I'm sure that I do more work in Texas than any other lawyer in Texas, more of this inspector defense work. I think I haven't met anybody else that's done more. Um, I'd, I'd really like to use him. I would really appreciate that. That'd be great. I'd love to, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to work with you because I don't want you guys to be in lawsuits, but if you do get in a lawsuit, um, I'd love to help you get out of it. All right, great. We appreciate that. Yeah, Jeff has been uh, very much help to a lot of Texas inspectors, including myself. That's how we first met him. Uh, and I can tell you, all attorneys are like inspectors and we are not all created equal. <laughs> so some, in, you know, when an attorney represents the home inspector, he's not familiar with what we do. It really makes his job a little bit more difficult on his side, where someone like Jeff with the experience of dealing with inspectors and knowing some of what inspectors do, it puts a kind of a check mark on our side of the box, actually. Big help. All right. Any other questions? Type it in the chat box, and we've got just a couple more minutes here before we close this thing out. Let me make sure I don't have anything popped up recently here. Uh, everybody is talking about how helpful the webinar is, practical information, good help. Uh, lots of thank you, Jeff. So I don't know if you can see the text box, chat boxes, but you can. There's a lot of information there. It's just people thanking you for your time. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm sending, Paul and Brenda, I'm sending you guys that uh, agreement as we speak. So okay. you can share it with those guys. And, uh, feel free to use it. I would love to have a case where I'm, I'm defending my own contract. That would be awesome. <laughs> but time would tell you yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right that sounds good all right that's all the questions we got on thanks again jeff for your time and, and your knowledge and sharing that with us we certainly appreciate it my pleasure all right yes. and you, anyone else that's on, on the line if you want information send me their your email address and stuff in the chat box and we'll get you the agreement all sent over all right I'd just like to say thank you all for attending. Those of you that are not in Texas, we appreciate you attending our meeting. And if you're ever in Texas, look us up. We've got 11 great chapters throughout the state of Texas. We invite you to attend any of our webinars or any of our classes that goes on live. You're always welcome. We're glad to be a part of the InterNACHI family and we appreciate each of you attending the meeting today. Thank you. We'll talk to y'all later. <laughs>